It's episode number 32 of the National Talkie League. We're going to give you the origins of Labor Day and why we have two-day weekends and we don't work on Labor Day. We'll also tell you the most beautiful father-son story that has ever occurred in a Golden Corral restaurant. And I've got a beef with Campgrounds of America, and it's not that they don't know how to spell campgrounds. If you like strong opinions loosely held, you're in the right place. National Talkie League. This podcast is being recorded on Labor Day, which has always been a quandary for me, Dave Ware, uh, because Labor Day is the day where we celebrate labor by not working. I think it's like the greatest juxtaposed holiday that there is. This is where we thank our union brethren, is that right, for giving us a weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too keen on that one. I don't think that today's union brother or sisterin had much to do with us getting the, uh, the, the weekend, although they like to claim that one, right? They do like <laughs> they to do say, yeah, well, without unions, you wouldn't have the two days off every week. I'm like, yeah, all right, sure, whatever. See, my understanding was uh, that people had reached the point where they didn't want to work you know, six or seven days or five days a week anymore, because uh, at that time, uh, you could buy a house for, you know, $2,000 <laughs> and uh, everything that was possible to buy <laughs> two weeks later, because there wasn't a lot of stuff to buy. Right. And so people were just like, yeah, maybe I won't work so much anymore. And that was around the time of the Great Depression. And then that happened. And then people were like, oh, wait, maybe I do need to work. When did we get the weekend? I, I, I'm. I don't, we could have researched this a little bit. I'm, I'm of the, uh, I guess I've always been of the mind that it happened sometime during the industrial revolution that we decided that Saturday and Sunday would be for chilling and uh, Monday through Friday would be when we, you know, chain ourselves to the needle making machine. Well, our friends at Wikipedia seem to believe that, uh, in the United States, at least it started in 1908, the concept of the weekend in 1908. All right. I like it. Let me let me scroll. I didn't realize down. it was that. Do you want to? Well, why didn't, no, no, Canada no. doesn't have an entry. So okay, I want to know why we didn't have a 100th anniversary of the weekend party back in 2008. Who screwed that up? No kidding. Like, and then the weekend could have played. See, that's what I was just gonna say. Wouldn't it be funny then if like unions, if you felt that unions were responsible for that guy's music career, <laughs> and that if you didn't <laughs> like the weekend, then you just wouldn't vote NDP or whatever the case might be. Uh, well, this is useless. It just tells me that in the United States, uh, the standard working week begins on Monday and ends on Friday. <laughs> but it doesn't actually tell me where the weekends came from. Here we go. Uh, present concept of the weekend arose in industrial north of Britain in the early part of the 19th century. Okay. It was originally a voluntary arrangement between factory owners and workers allowing Saturday afternoon off from 2 p.m. in agreement the staff would be available for work sober and refreshed on Monday morning. The Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America <laughs> Union was the first to successfully demand a five-day work week in 1929. 1929, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great bargain. Can you just imagine like the, the representative of the workers talking to the representative of the company and just saying, all right, look, we'll give you – Sundays off and you can leave it too on Saturday, but you can't come in wasted on Monday morning. Okay. You just can't come in drunk. 
wait, can we, can we do this? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do it. Here we, we, we go. should do this. But remember, north of England, okay? North of England. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, you, are you the worker? I'll be the worker. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah, right, I got a bit of a complaint. Oh, God, here we go again then, mate. Uh, hang on a second, love. Uh, brush off the seat over there for Mr. What was your name again? Oh, it's, uh, it's Philip. All right, Mr. Philip, then have a seat. Then what's the complaint now? Yes. Now, listen, we like to not have to work on the Sunday because a lot of us like to watch football and uh, also we like to drink. Ah, oh, bloody hell. Then I'm going to have to go upstairs to Mr. Tottenham and Mr. Tottenham's going to say to me, oh, they don't want to work on week. He's a bit of a loosey-goosey one, isn't he? A bit of a ponce, is he? <laughs> oh, they want to watch the footy, do they? Well, yes, then, then we'll just have to. And provided they right. don't come in wasted on Monday, then give them what they want, provided they keep their liquor. Tell them to mind their P's and Q's. Oh, yeah, we, we'll do that. We'll, we'll watch our pints and, and what have you. All right, then. Uh, I'll be gone then. Now, you got until, I'll tell you what, you're going to leave the office at 2 o'clock today then. You're going to work your little hineys off until 2 o'clock today, and then off you go. We'll see you Monday morning. Right, that sounds fine. But but you know what? Is if we work till 2, that's, that's most of the day still, isn't it? I right, quit where you're ahead, mate. You've already got Sunday off. You've got to watch your precious footy. Right, okay. Okay, but you know what? What? One day, one day we'll be back. <laughs> And we will get the whole Saturday. Yeah, over my dead body, you will be back. You know, I tell you, you'll have to create your own nation (laughs) under God, indivisible, with your own unions to get that to come true. I'll tell you what. Right, just you watch. (laughs) That we and seen. Um. All right. So I, I I feel like I was there. Oh yeah, I could smell it. And I was angry at you because you chose the word Tottenham as your factory owner. That's the guy's name. He owns the team too. I know. This is a, this is a this is a, a factory that manufactures hot spurs. But the team that I support absolutely fucking hates those guys. So <laughs> is that right? I just got angry at you when you said that. It was great. <laughs> is that one of the big yeah. r- rivalries? Is is because uh, you're a Arsenal supporter, right? Yes, and yes, it's the biggest. So they're they're in the same town. They're both in London. Right, so it's like an in-town rivalry, and uh, yeah, we absolutely hate those guys. I say we because I'm part of the team, you know. Oh, I see, because <laughs> you're part of the uh, the punters. You're one of the punters, yeah, yeah. as it were. Um, tell me this about premiership, and and by the way, um, for those people who are just tuning in, I've, I'm I'm very angry right now uh, after a conversation that I had with a, a friend of mine who was playing golf. He works for an oil company, and they're about to go through another round of layoffs. Uh, yeah. Or, or not necessarily layoffs, but another round of announcements, and that's coming um, shortly. And uh, his nose is out of joint about like politics in this province, and a lot of the stuff that he was saying to me just kind of made me go, "Oh my god, we need more people to speak up like you." So I'm going to clear my throat on that in just a sec. But I want to ask you something about the way teams are dispersed throughout the country in the Premiership, because it seems to me that there's like four places where Premiership Premiership football teams are. Is that about right? Uh, well, no, there's lots of little towns in that that have them, but I mean, there's only so many, you know, large cities in the UK or sorry, in England, I guess. Right. Um, so, I mean, London, obviously a massive city, but London has three teams right now in the premiership and sometimes there's more. Uh, so Chelsea, uh, Arsenal and, uh, Tottenham Hotspur all play out of England. And there might even be a fourth in there right now that I'm forgetting. Uh, Liverpool has two teams. Uh, Manchester has two teams. Okay. 
And there's, so there's 20 teams. That's probably, that's what, four, six, seven, eight, seven or eight of them right there. Right. There's 20 teams in the premiership. Is that it? There's that's, 20 teams at any given time. Yes. Cool. I like the way that league operates. I think it more, I think we've been through this, but I think that more sports leagues should kind of adopt sort of a punishment strategy for sucking year after year after year. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It, it totally adds some more interest to the bottom. So if you're unfamiliar, what happens is uh, there's 20 teams and at the end of the season. So it's a little bit different than most North American sports in that there's, there's no playoff. Well, okay. Th- there is, but there isn't. So there's two separate things that happen. There's a cup, right? Right. In England, it's called the FA Cup, the Football Association Cup. And it's not just the 20 teams in the premiership that go for the, the, the FA Cup. It's all the teams, basically. If you're in any sort of organized league above you know, the Sunday Football League that you play with your buddies, if you're on any kind of actual team. So this would be anything from, I guess, AAA would be the closest idea. Sure, yeah. Right? Okay. Any kind of professional team, uh, you can go into the FA Cup. And so you'll get you know teams from little towns of nowhere that have – you know, 4,000 seats in their stadium taking on, you know, an arsenal with 60,000 seats in their stadium. And they love it. The little teams love it because number one, they get to get to play the biggest guys in the world. Right. Uh, But they also get the gate. Normally what'll happen is the bigger team will say, Hey, you know what? Come and play in our stadium and you guys get half the gate anyway. So rather than, you know, your 4,000 seats. So sometimes they do, they make the, you know, (laughs) Manchester United go and play in the 4,000 seat stadium. That's cool. And sometimes you get what they call a cup set where the, uh, the small team beats the big fish, right? Right. So anyway, so that's the cup. And then, uh, half of you have stopped listening already. (laughs) Uh, then what happens in the regular league is there's no like first place or, you know, first through three, third come in and go into the playoff bracket. There is no playoff bracket. You literally play each team home and away. So there's 38 games, right? Cause you don't play yourself. So you play 38 games and at the end of 38 games, whoever's got the most points wins and they're in first. Right. So you could win, you know, three, four weeks before the season's over. If you're far enough ahead, you could mathematically eliminate every other team and become the champions that day. So, yeah, I like that. I down to the last minute, right? I compare that to the North American ones. And I think that, that baseball had it, I think really, really good where they had two leagues that never played each other. And then they would meet in the World Series, right? And so, um, as long as I've been alive, there have been the division series, the or not the division series, excuse me, the the league championship series. So the American League championship series, the National League championship series. Whoever won each of those would meet in the World Series. Um, but prior to that, it was just a pennant, right? Like the best team in each league would meet each other in the World Series, and so you could win the pennant in August if your team was that good. Right. And you'd basically go fishing in September, you know, play your scrubs, and then you just save your guys for October in the World Series. And I always thought that made sense when they came up with interleague play in baseball. Um, and I won't belabor this because I think we've gone over this ground, but it really ruined the mystery of like what would happen if, you know, and one of the big things is the, the designated hitter rule, right? So it was really cool to see the American League, uh, like when the Blue Jays went into Atlanta, for example, and it's like, all right, well, now – you know, we're going to see what if any of these Blue Jays pitchers can hit. You know, it was like a novelty. So I like that. What I think is absurd. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask. So uh, how does it work then? Do you play whoever's home field it is? You play by that league's rules? That's right. And that's how that it works in, in interleague as well, right? So if you're in a National League stadium, you play by National League rules. And it's a flaw in the league. It's like you've got – can you imagine if you were playing hockey, right? 
and you've got uh, Montreal's playing in L.A. tonight, so there's no blue line. Uh, they just don't use a blue line in the West. <laughs> like what? <laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Um, so how does it work in the World Series? Then do they? Is it the same thing? They switch back and forth with yeah. designated hitters and not? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. very same thing. Yeah. So you'll play. You know, if you go a full seven game series, then uh, yeah, when you switch to the American League Park, you'll use a designated hitter. And do they still do the? Th- I remember they did this a while back, but I know so little. Uh, do they still do the thing where whoever wins the All Star game gets the first game? Gets home field advantage. Gets yeah. home field advantage. Okay. Which I think is ludicrous, but whatever. Why not That's just make fun? At least, it, at least there's something at stake. Well, like, yeah. No other league really has anything at stake in their all star game, like especially the NFL, where it's just, you know, it's like, nope, we're not going to play that. What? We could get hurt? Nope, we're not going to play. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's Hawaii. Come and play. Ah, no, nah, never mind. They should make the, the, uh, the NFL all star game, the Pro Bowl, shouldn't be a football game. It should be a water fight. <laughs> or a food fight or something like that, right? Just just be something absurd. So there's like playing rights, but nobody's going to sustain an injury because that's the problem with the football, with the Pro Bowl, right? It's like no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. But if they made it like a water balloon fight, then I think you got something. <laughs> I like it. Um, the 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 thing about baseball and the All-Star game, and I actually think we talked about this on a previous podcast. I, don't, uh, I wish I could reference it right now. I'm not sure which one it was. But um, the problem with the All-Star game is that the guys make too much money. Like it used to be, you wanted to be an all-star, you get a bonus for that. And then when your team, if your team won the all-star game, you got a bonus for that. So that's why you see Pete Rose, like end a guy's career in the all-star game because there's money at stake. And it was a big deal for some of those guys. So, but now in an era where, you know, a guy makes 25 million bucks a year, how are you going to monetarily incentivize guys to compete in the all-star game? There's no way. Yeah, you have to almost have to shame them if they lose or something, you know, make them out to be terrible if they don't win. And so it's worth something for them to, you know, you got to give them some level like you've got to turn the all-star game into um, like the biggest red carpet affair and like, you know, make it an ego play. Like it's so good for your Twitter account if you show up at the all-star game or something stupid like that. What if the state that each of the starting nine players, it wouldn't work anyway, but each of the starting nine players, uh, if your team wins, if your division wins, uh, those states' electoral votes go to the party of your choice. (laughs) (laughs) This is getting confusing now, but I, I like what you're doing. I like where you're going here. Yes, we're using one of the stupidest displays of democracy to prop up one of the stupidest displays of democracy. <laughs> um, let's see. The, the Hockey has always been absurd to me because you end up playing a 20 – you could play 28 games in the postseason and lose the Stanley Cup, right? If you, if you won three seven-game series, then you lost a seven-game series. You would play a full extra third of a hockey season wow. and you would lose the cup. And I think that's just insane. It's too much. Um, the seven game series should be only for the final, right? Should be three. Didn't it used to be like shorter? Didn't you used to have threes or fives or something? Yeah, I think it used to be best of five. fives and then and then uh, sevens in the – I think it used to be fives all the way to the end. But I think it was fives and then they expanded the final to be seven games at one point. But the thing so about – Or maybe like the final should be seven and the division – What I don't, I don't even know how it works in hockey anymore. Is there like a – like West and East is the the last sort of divider, is it not? Yeah, so it's two conferences, and then they've got it all the way down to like wild card spots now. So you've got you can you can wild card your way in, but it's what I find 
silly about it is you're still playing this 80 game schedule to determine, you know, who's going to make it to the playoffs and more than half the teams do. So you don't really need the 80 games to rule out streaks and stuff like that. Well, and I mean, if they did five all the way up to the final conference final and then the Stanley cup, it might be different. But again, this is where we started. This was the whole premiership concept. So, and what we didn't explain back then when we got off track was that the, so the, the top team wins, yeah. right? You got the most points. You just mathematically win. But the bottom three teams, the three lowest scoring over the full, not low scoring, but have the least points after those 38 games, uh, they get relegated. They get dropped down to a lower division where you make less money and you're not on TV as much and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and the top three teams from that, and that one's called the championship. This is the name of the, the division currently. Uh, the top three teams in that division move up. So you get to play in the big leagues now. So I can't remember who we likened this to the last time I explained it because I'm pretty sure we did this before. But uh, who would it be? Who would be? Uh, it was like WHL, I guess, would be the next. Well, no, it'd be like the the American Hockey League or the uh, you know the old International Hockey League or like the East Coast Hockey League. One of those pro pro leagues, not quite so not who's, a junior league. Give but, me a team. Yeah, uh, the Chicago uh, Wolves. Okay, so the Chicago Wolves win or come in you know for second or third now they're playing in the nhl and i don't know who it is that's terrible the blue jackets the canucks the canucks (laughs) came in 18th or 19th they drop down they're not in the nhl next year they can get back if they do well enough and that happens to a lot of teams as you get in that you're you're not good enough for the for the first division but you're way too good for the second division and so you just keep bouncing back and forth and back and it it really changes a lot of things like players uh, a lot of players have release clauses in their contract that says i'm not going down so if your team goes down our contract is null and void and i'm out or a lot of teams will be like okay we can't afford these guys anymore because we're not going to make tv money next year so fire sale who wants our guys right? yeah that, see that's what i think is neat is the dispersion of of players and then you could you could conceivably keep like a couple of studs they're going to help you win in that league and and get back up to the the show the following year but you know it's when you came back in like so let's say you're in that uh the Canucks situation where you get you know relegated and then you you win that uh, relegation league and then you go back up into the NHL now you can pick up on those players that are in this sort of dispersal draft and yep. kind of bolster your club so it's it's not like you're in this this uh, purgatory situation where it's like, you know, like the Leafs are in, right? Where it's like, oh, they've been rebuilding for 50 years. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, we're going to try FNUF now. We're going to try like they're it's 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 not like the the team gets like a wholesale makeover every every year. Um, some Leaf fan is going to correct me on this, I hope. But anyway, what I'm saying is when you come back up from you know relegation, you get back into the league, now you've got an opportunity to say, okay, well, let's go for it here. And you know we can change everything up because our roster is going to be completely different. I would love to see that. I think that would be really healthy for the game. And it would also be great to see the Canucks not be in the NHL. Vancouver deserves that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other interesting thing, of course, is in the, in the premiership, uh, when you want a player, you make a deal with the team. Uh, and then you also have to make a deal with the player. Right. You make a deal, you buy the rights of that player from the team that own the rights to that player. But then you also have to make an agreement with the player and offer him wages and that kind of thing. So it's a pretty interesting way to go about hiring people. There's no draft. Uh, you just find players. If you want players, you find them. Right. 
you're not you're not given players. So there's right. no there's also no incentive to come in last, and you really don't want to come in last because of that whole rele- relegation thing. Yeah, I talked about. I was a, a, a what, what am I trying to say here? I was a guest. I was pleased to be a guest on the Oilers YYC podcast a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the fact that junior hockey players generate a lot of income for their uh, for their ownership groups, which are sometimes hockey teams. Uh, that's the case in the city here, uh, but they don't get paid. They get like this ridiculous stipend, so they're really risking a lot. Uh, for very, very little, because uh, most of them don't end up going to the NHL. So I thought it would be interesting if, if they employed the same um, sort of thing that the premiership does where uh, or English football clubs do, where you have like a, a junior team, you have like a development camp, and you yeah. sign these kids and you pay them as you know 14 and 15 and 16-year-old athletes. And then if they don't pan out, that's fine. You're, you know, they're, if they're not good enough to play in the NHL, that's cool. You paid them $50,000 a year to be in your junior ranks. Uh, but if they do make it, then they're your property and you've got them for maybe three or four years on that league minimum. And then they're free agents after that or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's uh, the academy system is what they call it. So they scout players as young as 10, 11 years old and you basically go to school at your team, right? And then – you start playing with that team and like those, those younger guys, they know the pros, right? They work with those guys. Right. Uh, you know, some of the guys that are healing up, they they'll play for the U 23 team or they'll play for the, you know, the farm club or whatever you want to call it. Right. So there is an actual sort of association and relationship between those players too. It's kind of interesting. I want to see the injuries get so bad in a top tier club that they all go all the way down to the 10 year olds. To fill out the roster, right? It's like the plague strikes Tottenham Hotspur. And then all of a sudden they got all these, these uh, primary school athletes running around the pitch. Uh, from your lips to God's ears, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> all right, enough soccer. All Nobody right. else wants to know about it. Perfect. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. Yeah. It's a real quick, Dave, and I think we might have – this might be ground we've covered in the past too. But I think that with Pride festivities this weekend, I think that we've seen a lot of what I'm about to talk about uh, play out, particularly in social media. And I really think that there, that people um, who recognize this as bullshit need to start calling it out as bullshit and just be really um, – be really tr- – not trite, but be really curt – and concise in calling out the bullshit. So here's the backstory. Okay, I'm playing a lovely round of golf as wealthy white people do. I'm kidding. I'm playing a lovely round of golf with a friend, and he says, um, uh, you know, that they've got another round of something coming up at the company that he works for. Maybe layoffs. Maybe just cutbacks. Who knows? Um, and it sucks. You know, it's like the fifth time it's happened, and and there's a lot of people that uh, you know don't really understand that how. Uh, how bad it is in the oil and gas sector and uh, how tough it is, you know, when you consider the fact that this guy was really building his life up to something. He was really close to getting, you know, the whole kids college fund set up. Uh, wife wasn't necessarily going to have to work. Like he was in a really good spot and that just kind of all got, you know, that, that rug pulled out from underneath him and which is upsetting and disconcerting. So anyway, um, then he goes on into this thing about how, you know, all I really want is fair taxation and a government that doesn't want to meddle in my personal business. What's so wrong with that? Like, uh, that's why I vote conservative. This is what he says to me. And then he goes into this thing about, but I'm not like, I don't hate gay people or I don't think that, you know, this is, is bad and stuff. And it's sort of like this conservative guilt, 
as though when you declare yourself conservative or I'm a conservative supporter, but I don't. You have to follow it up with a shopping list of, but, but, but I don't. Right? Like I voted for Trump, but I don't hate Mexicans and I don't think they should build a wall. And by the way, I don't think Planned Parenthood is bad. So it's just sort of like it's this weird – this weirdness that, that comes about. And I think that it's because of this germ in society that we have right now, the if you are uh, – uh, it's the us and them. It's with us or against us. It's if you support this candidate, then you support this. So if you like Nellie McClung, then you support eugenics. That's absurd, right? If you like Tommy Douglas and universal healthcare, then you approve of sterilizing uh, mentally handicapped people. Ridiculous, right? But that bullshit is everywhere in this province right now. And so I think the antidote is to say um, when you recognize it, when you see it on Twitter, whoever's doing it, just go, nope, that's bullshit. And then just yeah, exp- and back absolutely. it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see it all the time. And I think it's this whole, you know, the left's been downtrodden in this province for so long. So the people who support them finally have their day in the sun and they're making hay as as you will to throw a few different uh, you know, <laughs> metaphors in there. Wait, you um, you got to make hay when you have your day in the sun. I think that's another a third one that we can toss in there. But go on. There please. you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of that, you know, the attacking the various people who are, you know, trying to lead or, or in the run running for the leadership of the conservative party. Uh, from the minute they decided they were going to be a party, it was like, what's your platform? You know, oh, what's your platform? Mm-hmm. It's like what, they have just formed the party like two days ago. What's your platform? <laughs> like, ah, okay. So, I mean, what it, what it proves to me is that the, the left is really no different from the right whatsoever, right? I mean, they, they go, they go on about how you guys, you guys, you're not very open minded. You're not very understanding and you're always attacking this and that. It's like, well, the left does it too. They just have different targets. Let's be honest. You know, it's not like people who support the left are better people than the people who support the right. They just have different targets and different beliefs. My problem, you know, as has always been this whole concept of like you were just saying, right? I, I support the concept of, the you know the, the the fiscal right i'm not so big on the social right. right and and that's exactly what your buddy was saying right you have to you have to apologize you have to go well you know i like these guys in power but yeah you know i, I don't think they should be attacking gay people either not that that most of them are not doing that of course some of them you know you don't know <laughs> well yeah I mean, I, I guess I'm always just going to be able to go back to um, the government can totally screw my paycheck, uh, but they can't make me racist. So, you know, like what what am I going to vote for here? Who do you think I'm going to vote for? Um, yeah. I, I look at uh, – yeah, because I'm the guy who likes to call fouls on my own team. Um, Steve Harper's government uh, – Taves. I was going to say Jonathan Taves. We're talking so much hockey. Vic Taves, who said, you're either with us or you're with the child pornographers, right? When they were trying to do this internet security bill that just basically was like a snoop law, which was going to allow the government to really have substantial access, uh, uh, almost unfettered access to information from your internet service provider. George W. Bush, after 9-11, had said, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And it was like, no, hang on a second here. So it's sort of like you're either with America or you're with North Korea right now. That's not true. You can be with America and still think it's wrong to go bomb North Korea into an ashtray, right? You can still be with uh, against 
child pornographers but think that people's internet privacy is worth protecting and enshrining in some sort of a law. Like this is the kind of idiocy that is so galling to me when we can call it out. Like, listen, the whole Vic Taves thing and, and that you're with us or you're with the child pornographers, that was just so stupid. And a lot of people rightfully jumped on it, particularly the vocal left, the progressives in this country at the time. And so they're doing the exact same thing now. And it's just so funny. It's like, can't you just admit when you are caught red-handed doing the same bullshit that you used to call other people out on? Can't you just go, yeah, got me. Good point. Can we move past it? Like, Just tuck your tail between your legs and say, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be resorting to those stupid tactics. But it's the squishy middle, Dave. It's the people who don't care one way or another. You're the ones who have to referee this stuff and say, no, that's bullshit. You know it. Here's an example. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing that we've been railing on about for weeks. It's this idea that you can't support your team. If you support your team, if you really love the party that you follow, you should love them enough to point out when they're doing stupid things. And they do stupid things. Let's be honest. Every party does. So you could be the biggest Trudeau supporter in the entire world. And I know you are, Roger. (laughs) 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 <laughs> you know, and then you could turn around and say, oh, you know, remember on, on Friday when he said he's going to make no apologies uh, for the uh, for going after the uh, the the uh, uh, this the business people, right? right? The, yeah. the sprinklers, you know, we're doing more for the people who need it and doing less for the people who don't. You know, you could say, well, that's a stupid thing to say. Yeah. That's clearly just trying to get votes because you're not actually looking at the problem in any way. You're just talking about the middle class because people like to think that they're in the middle class Uh. because those who aren't super wealthy always think of themselves as middle class, right? Yeah, you're you're triggering me (laughs) with all this. No, because it infuriates me. And here's my big problem with it is that these are changes that will be easy to reverse. I think a government could come in and say, hey, look, it was a major mistake to take these privileges away from from small business owners and it cost us a lot of money in income tax because those people employed a lot of other people and now they don't do that anymore. And boy, it was a real net drain. Um, and so a government could go ahead and change those these these bill more no tax changes, but um, loophole closures or whatever you want to call them. But um, look, the, the data will be there. StatsCan will have reported on it. We'll know and no one will care. And that's the most frustrating thing about this country. Hey, do you guys like imperial, empirical evidence? No. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants ice cream? I do. Well, and, you know, being one of those people with us small businesses, it's a bit infuriating. And I've, I said this in a past uh, podcast. You know what? If the government wants to change the rules on how they do income, that's their prerogative. They're allowed to do that. They're the government. But for them to turn around and say, you guys are cheating. We're going to make you, we're going to stick you to the sticking point. We're going to make sure you do things right. I take offense to that. Right. Because, because these businesses for the vast majority, right. For the most part, they're all they're doing is playing by the rules that were set up by who the government, right. Mm -hmm. It's not our fault that our accountants are like, Oh, okay. Well within the rules, you can do this or you can do that. Right. Exploit those loopholes. Exploit is even a bit of a, a, you know, prerogative term or a pejorative term right? right but yeah we're playing within the rules oh but yo you're not paying your fair share well this is what you told us we had to do would you like us to just voluntarily pay more out of the goodness of our hearts because you sure don't do that you know <laughs> um so the, here's a here's a here's something to think about 
And you know how, how much I'm into, I've got such a boner for changing the way we collect taxes in this country, but um, the dominion tax. Okay. So income tax, the first iteration of income tax in this country is the dominion tax. And it's the, the notion is that we're going to need a lot of money because we're going to go to war. And so we're going to have to fund this war effort somehow. So the dominion tax and the dominion tax is supposed to last until the end of the war. And then it's going to go away, but hey, you know the government got drunk on on taxing people, and so we have income tax. Okay, um, so here's what I'm here's what I'm saying. If you went into a hospital, okay, and you're going to get some sort of an operation, you're going to get a knee done. I don't know. You're going to get some sort of day procedure, and you'll be in and out of there. Would would you permit them to do some hundred year old ritual first, like the dipping of the hands in bleach? <laughs> and like, let's get in the minister to bless this man should he die and then inject his spine with cocaine. Like, would you – like, no, right? We as a society generally are okay at looking at stuff and going, that's antiquated and either doesn't work, is unnecessary, or has been replaced by a far better process. Yet government cannot do that ever. They, they, sim- they are so bad at doing that that no one can stand up and just go – um, has it occurred to you that maybe this gigantic, you know, thousands of pages long tax code of ours is, is holding us back and that maybe we just don't need to do things this way anymore? We could actually literally, if the parliament buildings burned down and this document was lost forever, that could be the best thing for this country going forward. That, I'm just, that's a hypothesis. I don't plan to test it, but just saying that if the library burned down and this document was gone forever, we might be better off. Yeah, I'm in favor. <laughs> of, no, no, no. Not burning down Parliament. No, 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 God, no. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't say that on a podcast. CSIS, if you're listening, that's not what we're saying. Oh, that'd be awesome if CSIS was listening. That would make two. <laughs> <laughs> so I was while we were researching this topic, I was uh, I was reading uh, uh, some Twittering. And uh, Kent Hare, our, one of our local uh, MPs. Yep. Um. There's a whole schwack of uh, female physician moms that are uh, calling them out for dodging them. They're like, we want to meet with you. We want to talk about this. We want to talk about this small business tax. Thing. Wow, really? Yeah, there's a whole chain of them here. Yeah. Why won't you meet with us? Why won't you talk to us about this? What's going on? Okay, I'm going to go down on the record and just tell you that Kent Hare is not a good politician. He's a bit of a folk hero, uh, but yep. he's, he's not a good politician. You know, yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, it's hard to take shots at the guy. Oh, God. That is, by the way, the all time worst. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay. I like it, though. You got me. <laughs> you know what? Fair ball, though, right? I mean, he had a billboard that said, A bullet couldn't stop me. Right. Nothing will. When he was running for mayor and then he just stopped running for mayor. Like, this is why I don't care for Kent Hare as a politician. No, like, as a, as a dude, fine guy. I've had a glass of beer with him and shook his hand and, and, and had a chat with him. But here, here's what I'm talking about. You don't sit as an MLA and then run for office in another jurisdiction and then go back to your cushy MLA gig. That's an abuse of, 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 uh, constituents and that's an abuse of taxpayers' dollars. And then the second thing is he just like turtled in that whole thing and shoved his, support behind Nenshi when he realized like, ah, I'm not going to win this one. Let's just go back to the cushy domain. Then he gives that up to go and sit as a federal MP because he got wooed by the whole, the way the liberal party does these things. So I don't agree with the way that guy has played politics at all, 
But I also think he's like one of these uh, fast talkers who uh, doesn't say anything when he speaks. I do not get any substance out of that guy. And I hate to say it, but I mean, I don't, eh, I won't say it then. I just think that there's a lot of like diversity and token appeal in having him front and center in the photographs. And I think that that's disgusting whenever I see it in any sort of, uh, in any politics. Well, and he was certainly happy to take the big uh, allowance, right? The right. change allowance yeah, right. that he was uh, given by the province of Alberta, you know, to help him uh, settle into his new, even higher paying job. Right. But he was happy to take what was it, $124,000 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like, come on. It's ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if anything, any changes come out of this big Kelowna summit that's coming up because uh, apparently there's quite a few. Uh, at least what I'm reading, there's quite a few uh, MPs that are starting to get some heat from their uh, constituents about this uh, small business thing. Yeah. And so while Justin might really want this to happen, he might be getting some uh, some heat back from his own people because they, you know, especially the guys like apparently one of the uh, MPs from right around that area in the, in the interior of BC just barely won. And hey, you know what? If there's enough small business owners in his uh, riding – then maybe he doesn't win next time this, uh, unless, you know, he starts playing ball. So. This will be such a joke, Dave, if they if they walk this one back. Like it'll be an absolute joke if they walk this back. Um, they, they will have walked back the, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, electoral reform. This will be the oh, last yeah. election where we have first past the post. I'm not going to do that now. And a lot of people voted for that. Yep. You know, and, and then if they if they can't, get this one across the line. It's just going to, I think we'll just really have to agree that this is, um, this is a, a shop window of a government. They're nothing but mannequins. It's all window dressing. It's Kardashian. And it's by the very definition, it is a Kardashian parliament that we have right now. And it is infuriating because we deserve so much better, especially in the face of what we have to deal with in this, this whole NAFTA concern. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'd, I'd feel a lot better, like, you know, with the Alberta NDP, if I, if I had any sense that most of the people running for them were competent in some way, but instead we see like people that just signed up on a whim. Oh yeah, I'll run for the NDP. And now all of a sudden they're MLAs. And that's the person that, you know, is, is supporting your trust and uh, bringing your issues to the government. It's like, they better get some good people in there this time. If yeah. they, you know, if they hope to, to hang around. So here's where I'm torn on this, right? Is because I I frequently said um, when when they were calling Justin Trudeau a drama teacher, right? I was just like, well, what should it only be lawyers that be politicians? Like Chuck Cadman, I thought was a great uh, member of Parliament, and you know he died. He very famously uh, stood and supported the Paul Martin government while he was, I think, battling cancer, and it was just like he wore blue jeans and a white shirt to Parliament because it was a House of Commons and he was a commoner. Like I really loved that guy. I thought that guy was amazing. We could have used three hundred eight of them, but um, yeah, I, I I just don't want to live in this world where it's like you've got to be, uh, you know, uh, you got to have nice suits and be uh, and have a, a you know a legal distinction behind your name in order to be a member of parliament or an MLA. Having said that, you've got to give a shit about something and have a cause celebre. You can't just sign up on a whim because they came door knocking and they needed the full eighty seven, uh, uh, you know constituencies filled which you know happened with the ndp and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah yeah i mean there were stories that came out right after the election that you know oh yeah no i was a college student and i just signed up because you yeah. know 
Yeah, and they, that, yeah, yeah great. You're an MLA now. Congratulations. You're a career politician. See, that's why, well I, that's why I say podcast after podcast, man, that it's like we've got too many MLAs. Like 87 is too many. We don't need them. If we had 47, we'd be doing just fine. And we could stagger it and have elections every two years and we would be just fine. But at least you have a more qualified house. Like half of these people you've never even heard of. They never stand up to speak. They're not in the Hansard. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Have we bitched enough about uh, politics? Oh, dude, I've, I've thoroughly rinsed. That was like the Listerine of uh, political commentary. National Talkie League. A hero will fall. So, uh, yeah. So, hey, I was gone last week. I was on the podcast for a little bit and I was very, very excited that I could actually still be on the podcast <laughs> while I was out traveling. Uh, I thought you guys did a great job. I had a really fun time listening. I always listen to the podcast after we record it because, right. uh, you know, I don't know if people know this, but when you're podcasting, most of the time you're sort of concentrating on how am I going to respond to what Roger's about to say or what am I going to talk about next? And so I don't always get to hear everything that you say. Right. And so it's good because I can listen to it and go, oh, that's what he meant. Okay. Oh, no, I totally <laughs> misunderstood what he said there. You I clearly need to listen more than uh, than worry about. It's that whole thing, right? Are you listening or are you waiting to, to talk next? Right? Sorry. I'm sorry. What? You got to be uh, in the yeah. moment, Dave. You got to live in the moment. I teach this in my radio academy called the Roger Kincaid School of Broadcasting, uh, where you learn how to become a great. You learn how to get fired eighteen years into your gig. Um, the uh, no, no, Keith, I thought did a really fantastic job. For those of you who missed episode uh, thirty-one, National Talkie League thirty-one, Keith Andrews, who's actually a guest in a prior episode, uh, came back on, and it was fitting because we were going to have him back on to talk about the McGregor Mayweather fight, and and we did, and we got into the big boxing versus. MMA thing. So I thought, I thought he did admirably. And it was also very good to have you on the podcast, sir. Yeah, I was, uh, it was luckily we had changed our plans up. So we can talk a bit about camping, not just about my trip, but uh, we had changed our trip up a little bit. And so I ended up being in Fernie that night, somewhere where they had decent Wi-Fi, and I was able to log in, although it was still kind of fun because we were trying to get the three of us logged into the same place so we could all hear each other. And <laughs> Roger managed to sort of cobble something together that uh, actually worked. Yeah, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes hacking in that episode. So tell me about um, camp camping in Great Falls, Montana. So yeah, so we, uh, so my wife and I, we have a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old son, and uh, we own a 1984 uh, VW Westphalia like camper van. Uh, you know the cool old hippie vans, and uh, it's a little bit of bit newer than than some of the ones that you see right. on the road, but still pretty old, uh, all things considered. There's no uh, power anything really. Uh, there's no real power steering. There's no real power brakes. The windows you actually crank them up yourself. When was the last time you had a car that you cranked a window, Roger? Uh, I've never owned one. Did there I have you to go. Do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, and I said this on my Facebook this week, I have owned a lot of vehicles that cost a lot more than that. And I have owned vehicles that go a lot faster than that one, but I have never driven anything that is more fun to drive than that van. It's well a blast, right? Yeah. You, uh, the one thing that it takes away from you is, uh, it tops out at about, you know, like 120. Right. Okay. 120 kilometers. You can go faster, but you start shimmying and it's just not good because again, with the lack of the power brakes, you know, you really want to be able to <laughs> stop uh, and you can't stop on a dime in that thing. So you really don't want to be getting going too fast. Um, but what it takes away is that whole, Oh, got to be there in an hour, going to be there in an hour, going to be there in 35 minutes. Right. 
you don't know when you're going to be there. You're going to be there when you get there. And uh, this was a kind of a monumental trip for us. We actually passed two vehicles on the highway. <laughs> two, Roger. Normally, you pass no one. Everybody passes you. And often you wait. You know, when you get to the end of that merge lane where you're going from two lanes back to one, you just look and go, does anybody need to get past here? Because this is your last chance, man. <laughs> I'm going this fast. So. Uh, but it is so much fun because it takes away that whole pressure of like, got to be there, got to be on a schedule. It's just like, you're just driving now. Right. You're enjoying it. You're in the moment, right? So brilliant. So anyways, uh, all of that to say that we drove down to Montana. Uh, I was amazed we got to the border. They didn't want to look at I thought for sure we were going to get inspected. Uh, but I don't know, maybe because we have the kids with us, we don't look like we're trying to smuggle anything. But uh, that's that's too uh, – no, that's too obvious. They know better than that. Like they're not looking for the cocaine and the guy with like the, you know, like when, when Juan Valdez walks his donkey across the border, they're not like, oh yeah, reaching that mule's ass. There's coke up there. You know, it's, it's the grandmother with the hat bag. She's the one with the dope. <laughs> It'd be fascinating to talk to a guard or perhaps a former border guard because the current ones probably can't talk about it, but it would be so fascinating to talk to those guys and find out you know, how they work and what their instincts are like. Cause I think you'd have to have a pretty special set of instincts. Anyways, I keep getting sidetracked here. Anyway. So we, yeah, we cross the border. It's all good. We drive down. And, uh, so there's two campgrounds in the, uh, great falls area. Uh, one is called Dick's <laughs> and one is the KOA. <laughs> uh, Dick's is right on the highway. It's 40 bucks a night, but it's right on the highway. And uh, the KOA, I think, is wait, 85 bucks. Wait, sorry. sorry let's yeah. just have a pause after Dick's and just let the jokes run through the ether. We don't have to say <laughs> any of them. Okay, tell me about the KOA. So the KOA is uh, 85 bucks a night, Ooh. which is a little steep uh, for camping, right? That's hotel room steep. That's, it is hotel room money. Uh, and I was like, mm. but on the other hand, it's that or Dick's. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can get Dick's twice. <laughs> for the same price as the KOA. You get a lot of dicks for that much money. Yeah, no kidding you uh, can. You can get yeah. double the dicks. Yeah. <laughs> you can get a week's worth of dicks. So for two days, three days of the KOA. Did your wife find dicks okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not a big fan of dicks. Uh, no. So, yeah. Not at all. She no, no, doesn't like them. Uh so decided to go to the KOA. Just drove by dicks, quick in and out. Yep. Yep, Did you no, check it a, out? No, didn't even go near the dicks. You didn't even go in. No. Okay. Not even going to sample the dicks. Nope. <laughs> Just the tip. Okay, go on. <laughs> so you go to the KOA then. So we go to the KOA. I don't know if uh, the listeners are familiar with the KOA. You probably are because your parents probably dragged you to one when you were a kid, or at least if you're my age, you did. Um, and so what it is, is it's basically, it's sort of a campground. But it's as close to not being a campground as a campground can get. It's basically almost like a motel that you bring your own room to. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, well put. So, yeah, they've got, you know, nine bathrooms and six of them have showers. Uh, there's a laundromat. There's a, you know, store out at the front. There's a little water park, uh, like a splash park, basically. Um and where our site was, we were right across from the kitchen. So they've got these little kitchen, little, is Quonset the right word? Sure. I like a Quonset. Yurt? I, I don't know what the, con, the yeah, it's it's almost like a yurt, like an open air. Okay. The, the parks have all these, like big open air camping or a, a cooking area. I got you. Yeah. And they've got a grill, like a 
you know, a power electric grill right in there. They've got a couple stoves in there. They've got a microwave in there. Right. So you can take your own food in there. You don't have to worry about setting up your camping stuff, right? You don't have to set up your propane or whatever. You just take it over to their kitchen and you can cook. Also between eight and 10 in the morning, they serve breakfast and you can pay five bucks and well, get see, like a, you know, yep, yep. You're <laughs> killing me here. You're describing an abandoned restaurant like right <laughs> up to the very end. So the thing I did like was you just grab all your food, but instead of having to, you just grab all your food, you take it over there, you cook it and you can eat right there. And then you clean your dishes and you take it back to the trailer. Right. Right. Uh, so that part's kind of okay. The, we were the smallest vehicle by far. So every single camper at this place is, I don't know how long the actual length, but like, you know, those big 50 foot things with all the slide outs and you have to drive a giant truck to pull the thing around. Like we, every single other camper was there. It was like that. Everyone. What is, uh, how close to each other were they? How closely parked were trailer to trailer? Um, I could throw a ball cap and hit the next trailer if I walked outside of mine. Okay. Like, not a rock. I mean, I, I wouldn't need a rock. <laughs> a ball cap doesn't go as far as a rock, but I could throw a ball cap and hit it. Yeah. So it's like a matter of feet, right? Like, you're, oh, yeah. 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 You're jammed right in there together. It's, to me, I feel like if you own a trailer and you go to KOAs, you hate your neighbors. <laughs> and present company <laughs> is kind of proves my point a little bit. No, I'm kidding, dude. Um, but, but right, it's like all you're doing is you're basically saying, I would be willing to forego my own home just to get out of this neighborhood for a little bit and live just as close to other people who feel the same way as me and pay 85 <laughs> bucks a night for the privilege. The campgrounds of America – I just sort of feel like they need a different name. Like I don't, I don't detest in any way what KOA is. I think it's great. I just don't think they should call themselves campground. Like a campground is a place where there's lots of trees. Uh, the ground is uncomfortable to sleep on. There's certainly no one cooking you breakfast, and there's the threat that of some sort of wild animal could kill you in the night. Like that's camping. What's going on at the KOA is basically like really high-end white-collar refugee status. We were we were like a minute and a half walk from the Walmart. <laughs> they just opened a Walmart. This is what I'm talking about. What the hell is <laughs> and, that? And I don't think it would support uh, a dissenting argument if I said that. Uh, so basically the way the VW works is we've got a little uh, – there's an awning that pops off the side of it and there's a little tent that attaches to that awning. Right. So we've got a separate room basically outside of the – the van and then the the top pops up so one of the boys sleeps up top one of them sleeps out in the the other room there the problem is now if you want to drive anywhere you got to take that room down right so it's like striking your tent every time you want to go somewhere it gets to be a bit of a pain we were able to get an uber to the koa (laughs) (laughs) took an uber to the water park you know how it is I'm surprised they didn't have a, a, a like a shuttle service at that KOA that you could, or like just rental cars that you could borrow. The uh, the Uber drivers of Great Falls very interesting. Uh-huh. Um, so the first guy shows up and he's you know so older retired guy. He's from Montana, so he's kind of big and and uh, you know drives to the water park. It's all fine and good. So my eight year old after he drops us off, my eight year old's like that guy was old. <laughs> So fine and good. So we go and we we have a blast. They have a great water park there. They have I don't know if you've ever seen these like a thing called the Flow Rider. And so basically it's like a it's like a permanent wave. So oh, there's cool. a 
lazy river around it. And then there's this big ramp and basically they fire water up it and you get on a little knee board, a little boogie board and you hop onto that thing and it sort of keeps you in place and you can kind of spin around. And if you're good enough, you can do some tricks in that. And if not, it sort of shoots you off to the side. Right. Wow. So it's, it's kind of, it's not surfing, but it's like surfing's little brother. Um, and it was the closest I got to surfing this year. So that was great. And we always have a good time there. So we finished that up and then we thought, well, you know, we're in America, so we should go to the golden corral while we're here, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is a horrible, horrible buffet with lots of horrible food at it. Um, but Hey, how but dare it's you? A, it's the best horrible buffet. <laughs> it's and it's American as all get out. So we decide, okay, we got to take another Uber over there. Cause it's that or taxi. So we take another Uber and uh, get another. And Max, Max says again, Oh, I hope, I hope this guy's not as old as that guy. <laughs> like what's this, what's this kid's problem? He doesn't like old drive. So the next guy, a little younger, but still pretty old. Like, you know, he's in his late fifties, early sixties. And this guy, boy, he shared some opinions with us, boy. Uh, so we picked him up. This park is called electric city water park. For some reason, great falls is known as electric city. I okay. wouldn't know why, because it's just a little town in the middle of nowhere. Um, but as he's driving us over there, he's like, yeah, that water park, I hope you had a good time at it, you know, because our taxpayers pay for that thing. And I was like, oh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I hope, you know, we're trying to get a referendum to to stop paying for it. But, you know, it doesn't make as much money as it costs. And I'm thinking, oh, you mean like every single municipal pool in the history of ever, <laughs> right? Um, and then he was on about, oh, school's starting soon. Yeah, your kids will probably be going back to school. Yeah, they uh, they just tried to pass another levy and the voters voted it down, rightly so. And I'm just thinking, oh, you don't like paying for anything. I got it. And I'm doing just the absolute best I can to say, oh, yeah, fucking firefighters too, hey? You don't <laughs> use those guys. Why would you want to pay for those? They never come to my house. Screw that. I'm not paying for that. Yeah, yeah, these guys but I didn't. I managed to keep my mouth shut. He had like so a don't, Thomas, don't tread yeah. on me t-shirt and a don't tread on me cap on or a marine cap on. Yeah. <laughs> so Thomas is also complaining about the fact that he has to sometimes drive to Missoula because he doesn't get enough Uber action. In Great Falls, I think there's just the two drivers, as far as I can tell. So he has to drive to um, Missoula. He he goes like that's a six hour roadie or three hour apparently, roadie. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. I mean, maybe he doesn't you know understand the economy of gas. I don't know. <laughs> so we have a perfectly you know filling meal <laughs> at the buffet, <laughs> and uh, we get an Uber back to the KOA, and it's Thomas again. <laughs> wow! And I'm just like, oh my god, I do not want to talk to this guy anymore. He has shared all his opinions with me. This will kill me. Uh, but again, I managed to keep my mouth shut because the big thing was like, I was just waiting for him to start talking about Trump. Right. I have yeah. to like, you know, bite my own tongue off to not say anything. But uh, yeah, I like that. So which, which do you think more adversely affected you? Two trips with Thomas or the meal at the golden corral? <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, it's so funny too. The, the thing that just immediately stands out to me about that story is like, you know, the guy's like, oh, I hope you had a good time. Our taxpayers are paying for it. It's like, yeah, well, I've just bought four admissions, asshole, and I'm going to pay you for this trip. So get your head out of your ass. Yeah. I just uh, – are you – do you have a problem with me bringing money into your economy? Is that is that the issue here? <laughs> That's like Barcelona. The city of Barcelona wants tourists out. The, well, they want tourists to behave more. I think is more apt, but – they're still like got this whole like, ah, oh, tourists are wrecking Barcelona thing. It's like, really? I think they might be funding a lot of Barcelona. So 
I, I read a similar story about Venice, how mm. uh, there's only like, you know, 10% of the population of Venice on any given day actually lives there. The rest of it is all tourism. And they're, you know, bitching quite a bit about that. And I keep thinking, well, I guess, you know, if you're a tourist attraction, that's what pays the bills. Why not just make your city ugly, right? Have a city uglification process where you find <laughs> ways to make tourists want to go away. Like put scaffolding up around all your landmarks. <laughs> but, really so how does a public. seaside Italian village plan to, you know, benefit from an economy if they don't have any tourism, I guess would be the question. What would Venice be known for? I guess the glass. They're known for their glass artisans. Right. But if there was no canals, why would we know Venice? Uh, that's a great question. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. So it's that sort of blessing and a curse thing, I mean. Mm -hmm. Right? Banff, Banff doesn't want people living there. Banff doesn't want people visiting Banff, except that the only people that visit Banff are tourists, right? It'd be the same thing saying Banff saying, we don't want people coming here anymore. We don't want tourists coming here anymore. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess none of you will have jobs anymore. But thanks. Okay. Yeah, it's just shut it down. It, it is so peculiar. It's like we want tourists, just not many of them. <laughs> what will what will Australians in their twenties do if Banff closes down? We employ every Australian uh, expat over the age of twenty in the entire world. That's right. All the ones that couldn't afford Whistler come here instead. <laughs> Um, go back to your Uber driver for a second because yes, I feel yes. obligated to give either five stars or uh, one star. I don't know if you can give no stars to an Uber driver, but I feel obligated. Like if it's if the ride is fine, I get where I'm going and it's not painful. That's always five stars. The Uber driver that I had in in um, Edmonton a couple of weekends ago fell asleep at a red light, and we were like, uh, "We'll get out of the car, thanks." And then we're like, "No stars." Wow. Um. Well, Thomas had a, a tip jar in right the, in the middle of his console. Yeah. Interesting. He had a thing where you could put tips. And I was like, and my wife was like, do we need to tip him after he left the first time? He's like, should we have tipped him? And I was like, oh, no. Oh, hell no. That's the reason I use Uber because I don't want to have to tip people. That's the whole point of Uber is I don't have to tip him. I agree. Well, I see. I, I mean, I can't just say that's the whole point. Um, but I know what you're saying. And for me, it's like the whole tipping thing is like, no, this is a whole different bargain. Um, and it's an agreed upon price and the price fluctuates. So it's sort of like you're getting like Uber's got that baked in, uh, what do they call it? Um, um, surge pricing, right? right Which is right. basically an incentive for drivers to get out there. Like, Hey, look, it costs more for people to take trips right now. So go out there and drive. That's like how they earn their drivers a little bit more bread. So they don't need me to tip. And when they added the tipping feature to it, I just – I made it a policy. I'm like, I'm never going to tip an Uber driver. Like, No, I mean, I think we paid $18. So this was going across Great Falls, which is – I don't know. It's like going from downtown to maybe Haysboro. It's right. about that distance. Sure. It was 18 bucks to get there. And then it was a couple bucks to get over to the Golden Corral and it was another 20 to get back. So, I mean, it still came out with the admissions. It was still like, you know, 30 bucks for each of us for the day kind of thing. So that was fine. Not just the rides, but everything we did. Right. Apart from the Golden Corral. Um, so it was fine. Like I didn't mind paying, you know, there's four of us. So 20 bucks is five bucks a head if you want to think of it that way. Right. Not so bad, but it's still like, ugh, I, I'm not getting into that. I'm not tipping you, especially after you've been yapping about your 
you know, <laughs> political beliefs. Because I don't think that's the way you get big tips. Maybe it is in Montana. Maybe everybody agrees with each other. That'd be great. The economy of Great Falls is entirely powered by uh, by probably bigots and uh, and <laughs> casinos, as far as I could tell. Because I swear to God, every third building was a casino of some kind. Whether it was just VLTs, I don't know, because I didn't go in any of them. But I, I, I swear to you, every third building, casino, casino, casino. It's ridiculous. And it's disappointing, too, because they're all like the strip mall casinos. So it's like when you think casino, you're like thinking about Las Vegas casinos, right? Bigger than life, something for everybody. Jerry Seinfeld is playing on Thursday night. And you're like, yeah, let's let's go to the buffet. No, the pool. No, the concert. And then you get to the <laughs> casino in Great Falls and it's like a cigarette machine and an automatic poker machine. <laughs> and it's those pull tap things. <laughs> that's all it is. And some lady who's sucking on her dentures. Do you want a diet Pepsi? Um, yeah. And I, by the way um, – Golden Corral. I'm curious about the naming of that establishment. The Golden Corral. Let it sound like a place that animals don't like to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so the funny part is my older son, uh, I get a steak, right? Because okay. I'm explaining to my son that uh, he's he's like, oh, check it out, dad. Look what I got. Look what I got. And he's got, you know, he's got a big roll and he's got a croissant and something. And I said, oh, son, this is a teaching moment. All right. Yes. You're filling up on bread. You don't, you don't ever do that at a buffet. Why would you want to do that? It's like, go get the steak, go get the prime rib. It's still probably going to be garbage, but at least it costs a little more. So I went and got a piece of steak and he tried some of it and he's not a big steak fan, but he was like, oh my God, this is the best steak I ever had. And I was like, okay, so you got a garbage palate. Okay, no problem. Uh, <laughs> I was like, great, go get a steak. He's like, I don't know how. I was like, all right, my son, let me take you over and show you how you get a steak at the Golden Corral. And literally you walk up to the glassed area where the man behind the grill is standing and you hold your plate and he puts a steak on it. Oh, man. But you'll love this part, Roger. So I decided to get the prime rib the second time back, right? Because what costs more than prime rib? Nothing. Uh, they didn't have crab. Or if they did, I'm not trying it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. um, I, the, the Montana crab is not as uh, – <laughs> doesn't meet the health and safety inspector's uh, uh, green light there. So and, uh, and, and Julie will like this, uh, especially, I suspect. But uh, I order the prime rib, and so he takes a piece of the prime rib. And he, you know, it's already, he carves it off, right? Just, you know, just like anywhere. And he was like, oh, would you like the au jus? I don't think he pronounced it like that. But All right. You want, you want the au jus? Uh, I said, yes, that'd be great. He takes, he takes my piece of prime rib that's in the tongs and he dips it into a little bucket of au jus and then drops it. <laughs> wow. That's gourmet. That is fancy. I've never had that before. That is, uh, I'm sure there's a French word for whatever that abomination was, but that's cool. Good thing you didn't ask for horseradish. He's like, plunge it into the horseradish bath as well. Here you go. Oh, man. man. That's the Montana way, though. Maybe that's just the Golden Corral way. Because, uh, you know, there's. I'm trying to think of foods where I would appreciate that. If I wanted butter on my corn and you just dunked the whole cob in a big pot of of gurgling butter, that would be rad. I'd go I'd be okay like, with that. Yeah, I'd be yeah. totally okay with that. And I'd actually say, can I put my hand in there? <laughs> See, my wife loves eating crab. It's one of her favorite meals. Right. Um, 
And I just, I constantly tease her that she doesn't actually like crap. She just uses a delivery system for butter, right? Because she gets to dip it in butter and then, right. and most other foods you would, you know, get funny looks if you're dipping it constantly in butter and eating it. So I don't know if there's a food that uses as much butter as shellfish does. I can't think of one. Like there's very few dishes that you order that come with a half a cup of butter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like even the bread, and they expect like the butter that they bring you with the bread to make it all the way around a table. But when you're rocking the lobster, like they'll roll back, they'll roll over there with just your own butter per order. I think it's here's your butter. Here's a thing to heat your butter because it's important to keep the butter warm. Yeah, we have these uh, these candles and these holders. They they serve one purpose. Now the fork and the knife you can use on anything in the restaurant, <laughs> but this apparatus only keeps your butter warm. That's all it does. And they're expensive, and so don't own, steal them. <laughs> it's got its own special tools too, right? Right. Here's the cracker. Here's the little fork thing. No other meals get that. Huh? I like it when they take the uh, when they go ahead and they cut the shells for you. I want to know whose job that is, and then you can just like open it up like a little suitcase and get your delicious crab meat out of there. Put it in the butter. Leave it for five minutes. <laughs> oh man, I'm getting hungry. Now, while we're on the topic of uh, of restaurants, Roger. Yes. This whole, uh, this whole tipping issue that you're telling me about. Why don't you, why don't yeah. you tell the talkies about that? Okay. So this restaurant in Edmonton, uh, they decided that they're going to have a no tipping policy, right? This is very vogue a little for a few months back in 016. But um, they opened up. They said, look, we're not going to have tips here. You, you know, uh, We're going to pay a living wage to our staff and the menu items are going to reflect that. So you're going to come in. You're going to pay a proper price on the menu. In that price is going to be the living wage that we pay to our employees. You don't have to tip. The price on the bill is the price you pay. Sayonara. We'll see you next time. It's going to be great. So um, they go ahead and they do this for a little while. And then just this past week, same restaurant says, we're abandoning our no tipping policy. It's untenable. The menu prices are going to come down. Uh, the staff is going to, uh, you know, you'll, you'll start to tip them again. They're going to make a little bit less money off the hop and they'll have to recover it in tips. And it's just like, you're trying to fight culture is what you're trying to do there. Like you might as well say, Hey, we're going to start driving on the left. (laughs) You know, it's, it's silly to me. See the evil part of me would want to go to that restaurant and just continue to not tip. Say, well, you know what? You that's what you guys said. You guys said no tipping. Oh, but we changed our well, well, well. You changed your minds. I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> that's right. Not a day went by in that restaurant too where someone didn't go. Sorry, what? No tipping? What? Re- oh, that's why my food was ridiculously expensive, and I was never coming back here. <laughs> right. It, it's and apparently the the servers were making twenty dollars an hour. Is what I was reading. Yeah, I was reading that too. And somebody – one of the guys who's quoted in the CBC story – we'll share the, the link to that in the show notes for this episode by the way. But one of the guys was, who was quoted was saying like it was better when I knew how much money I was going to have at the end of the month because you know, like you can rely on the amount of hours you work and then you know, multiplied by your hourly rate. And I thought to myself like this is the problem you know, is that th- there has to be some correlation with productivity in the service industry. And tips do that. Like tips are a great way of saying the more productive you are, the more money that you make. You know, I used to work in restaurant, a couple of restaurants where I was like, you know, low man on the totem pole, right? And if it's a winter storm, they'll call you up and say, hey, you know, don't come in tonight. Or you'll be there at six for your shift and at 730, they'll roll around and go, "Uh, hey, do me a favor and clean up and sign out. We don't need you. And so that was like, 
that's life, right? That that was the life of the server. But the good news is, is that uh, when they schedule for you, you for a four hour shift during Stampede and it's gangbusters and you make three hundred bucks in tips and you have to work until midnight because the restaurant just keeps getting slammed, you know that eats up their labor cost. But hey, they needed you, so it kind of goes both ways. I think that these guys were stupid to try the no tipping thing in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, coming from someone who hasn't really worked in the restaurant industry ever, but dated a lot of waitresses. Uh, <laughs> so you're an expert in this field, yes. Exclusively for a while. Um, I hate tipping. I really do. I hate it. Yeah. I hate that it's an expectation. I hate that there's constantly an argument about how much. And if you try to say, well, I only do this much, then you're a cheapskate or, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't tip. I do tip. I just hate doing it. Right. So I would prefer that kind of concept where it's like, it's just added into the bill. We'll figure it out, you know, but you're right. It does provide some sort of an incentive to do a better job because I'll be the first guy to say, oh, well, the service and the food was lousy in this place. So I'm not tipping as well anymore. Yeah, or that server that server really did a good job. So my wife will say, "Oh, give her a couple extra dollars," and I'll also give her a pat on the head as I leave because I think that for (laughs) me that's the most important kind of tip you can give someone is is some human contact. So, Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I don't like it. I like it. Um, I, I don't have a problem with tipping. I've been, we've been over this in the past, but like if, if I order a hamburger and it costs $18 at one place and then I order a hamburger, that's $36 at another place. What was materially different about that transaction that I'm going to pay, uh, twice as much to tip on the second hamburger. Right. That's a good point. So that, that, I just think it's, it's bizarrely arbitrary. Um, and that we tip a percentage, right? I sort of think that if you sit in a restaurant for an hour and you get your water glass refilled and you get your bowl of soup and it's delicious and then you leave, um, that you should tip the same $5 that you would tip if you sat in that same restaurant and got your water glass refilled and got your plate of prime rib and it was delicious and then you left an hour later. So I, I, like, I don't really get why there's a there's a correlation between – um, how much your food cost and how much your service was worth. You know what drives me nuts too is the is the whole concept that that percentage is going up. Like the whole idea of a percentage is that it shouldn't have to go up. Right. right? Yeah. The cost of the meal goes up. The tip goes up. That's right. Because it's fifteen percent of that. Oh, it should be eighteen now. But why? Because prices have gone up. But then so did the fifteen percent. It went up too. <laughs> No, no, you have to do 20 now. Why? Because a lot of servers say that they want 20. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and it's weird. Here's another example, by the way, right? I would like uh, a beer. And what are you going to have, Dave? Uh, I'm going to have a double Hennessy. Okay, he'll tip you eight times what I tip you. <laughs> so there's way more work involved in what I've asked you to do. This doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, it's a good point, right? I mean, maybe that's what we should start saying is, all right, so tipping is now, I don't know, what's what's fair? 10 bucks an hour if I'm in the restaurant for an hour? Okay. 10 now, bucks? Hang on a second here. I don't mean to, to just completely grab the wheel here, but don't you think there should be a meter on the table, like a chess clock or something like that, and you punch in, punch out? Because that's the commodity, right? That's the real estate. You're renting a table. Okay, right? I like that. Yeah, so so here's what I'm saying. Like we went, Aaron and I went. Table out, cost. Yeah, we went out for dinner the other night, and we said, um, 
you know, can we sit on the patio? And she said, yeah, it's just that we have a reservation at that table at 745. So you have to be gone by 745. And I was like, thank goodness you told us that, first of all. It creates an expectation. Um, and that only gives us two and a half hours to enjoy our dinner. So it's like not going to be an issue. But like, I thought it was really cool that she said that to us. And then I thought to myself, well, hang on a second. Why don't you just bill us $15 an hour for the table? And we'll stay as long as we want. <laughs> I like that. I think you're onto something here. So, and this is how you could figure out the difference between restaurants too, because you could say, oh, well, if you're, you know, a waiter at the Buffalo Wild Wings and you're a waiter at, you know, a, like a career waiter at Atmosphere or, or, or Nick's or something like that, right? Right. Well, Nick's is a bad example, but, you know, like a place where someone might be a waiter for years and years and, have trained to the fullest. What would be a fancy restaurant where you'd expect superior service? Let's say Teatro downtown. I like Teatro, Caesars, or something like that. Great. Okay, sure. Um, so maybe their table rate is higher, and that would be uh, listed at the front of the restaurant, right? Buffalo Wild Wings, your table rate is five dollars an hour. At Teatro, your table rate is thirty-five dollars an hour. Whatever it is, right? Right. And then the price can come out of the food. Yeah. Right. It's because you're paying for that in the food as well. So it's like you can take that uh, that out of the food. The menu item goes down a little bit. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like – I mean I just like the whole notion of paying for what you <laughs> what you use. But it's like if you've ever – anybody who's ever worked in a breakfast place and then the two ladies come in and they'll have their you know their, their scone and jam and just endless cups of coffee, it's like you are hurting the business. And the poor waiter or waitress that has to take care of you – you're just like ate that person's income because you're not getting your ass out of that table. And I love the diner owner that tells people to leave. Love the diner owner that tells people to leave. When they're camping out on, on breakfast tables and there's a lineup at the door, the diner owner that comes up and says, no, you've had enough coffee. I got a lineup. You got to go. And those idiots will protest and go, I've never seen such roots. We'll never come back here. It's like, good. I don't want people like you here. I want people to come, <laughs> the in, yeah, come in, eat, get out. <laughs> I'm never coming back here. Great, because the guy who's waiting for your table probably will. So <laughs> yeah, He's going to come back twice when I tell him that I booted your ass out of here so he can That's sit right. down and eat. That's a customer for life. This is a terrible uh, tack to take with me when I clearly have a lineup out the door. To say that you'll never come back here. Okay, well, that's great. Yeah, not, not a problem. Uh, hey, maybe we should open that diner, by the way, and just be like, um, what, what would we call that diner? T clocks ticking or something like that. <laughs> I could get I like into it. That. I mean, yeah. like I read about a place in uh, in Los Angeles where they, uh, they have a, a tap at the table, beer tap. Okay. And you basically pay for what you drink. You can have any kind of beer you want. You're just paying by the volume, right? Right. It's a little meter that keeps track of how much beer you've had and, you know, however many ounces or whatever it is, probably ounces because it's the States, right? Sure. So you want to pour whatever you want to pour and you're done. Boom. It's taken care of. So this is that kind of concept right there, right? You want a table? It's going to cost you five, you know, two, our restaurant's probably going to be 10 bucks an hour. How much? Right? Would, if you're out of there in 45 minutes, you don't have to pay full 10 bucks. How much was the, the, the Golden Corral table going to set you back, do you think? <laughs> Because it's a buffet. They're going to hold different they pay, they economy. They pay you $2 there. to they sit there. For, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's why people get so heavy eating there. It's because they're getting a rebate on their check. <laughs> so we got to stay all night now. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to eat at four and have dessert at midnight. We're going to be rich. 
And the, to be fair, the waitress we had was great. We walked in and there was a giant blast of AC hitting us. And uh, my little guy was freezing because we just got out of the pool. And she went and turned it off for us, right? Oh, cool. It's like she didn't need to do that. She's, you know, a restaurant or she's a waitress at Golden Corral. She knows she's probably getting lousy tips and she's going to have to take a lot of plates away that are half eaten from a lot of very fat people. Yeah. But she did. I like the – see – you can get really great service in a place like that because they, they know they want to get out of there or that the job doesn't define them or something like that. Like there's not – like I'm obviously not looking down on somebody who works at the Golden Corral. But um, I would hazard to say that there's no one in, the, in America who dreams of working at the Golden Corral who's above age eight. <laughs> so it's you know it's sort of like those people i think that they look at it and they go i'm i'm going to work here forever unless i do things that will make it so that i don't have to work here forever well or like you said if you're if you're that sort of enterprising person you go oh if i go above and beyond that person's gonna be amazed right if i actually serve these people and do a good job of it i'm probably gonna get a decent tip out of it so. right and there's nothing wrong with like so working at mcdonald's for example like I think McDonald's is an amazing place to work. I got to tell you this thing I used to try to do. It never really worked out, but in on theory, it was great. Um, but it's like what you don't want to be is the frontline worker at McDonald's forever. That's a good job for a lot of people, uh, you know, when they're going to start out somewhere and then you're going to get your foot in the door at McDonald's and you're going to learn about systems and you're going to learn about consistency and programs and all this great stuff. But it's like if you want to work for McDonald's forever, you want to be the vice president of McDonald's, right? That's what you want to work your way up to. You don't want to be like juggling fries at age 52 after, you know, 20 years and, and have like the – have like service medals on your breast from like you know working at McDonald's for so long. So here's this thing I used to try, Dave, and I'm, I, I might bring it back actually after talking about it here. But at a party, uh, when you meet someone you don't know – um, just, uh, and they ask you what you do say, uh, oh, I work at Burger King and then they'll just immediately, they'll dismiss you. Right. So it's like, uh, oh, okay. And then they'll talk about something else or whatever. So then what you do in around that person later on, maybe give it like 30, 45 minutes is, um, when they tell a story or something like that, or they're talking about their job, then you, you pipe up something like, oh, no, that's a really interesting story. Um, you know, in my role as vice president of marketing Western Canada for Burger King, I find all the time that, you know, so that you can like, wham, them. it's like a, a time delayed screw you. <laughs> Uh, so I saw something funny the other day on the Twitter. Uh, someone had gone into the McDonald's and, you know, they have the, the order things, the screens now, the yeah, giant yeah. iPads you can order from. I use that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good. Uh, so apparently he went in and he ordered a cheeseburger and he said, hold the onions and hold the relish or the mustard, hold the ketchup, hold the bun and hold the patty. And they still wanted to charge him 99 cents. Wow. Really? And he did. He paid the 99 cents and got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I want to go try that now. I want to see if if I hold everything but the ketchup, what they'll do. <laughs> like, will they Here's get, your package of ketchup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is what the robot is too efficient. The robot is too efficient. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to talk about something that happened a couple of weeks ago as we kind of wind down this podcast day, but I made a comment, a very passing comment about how I'm thinking about moving to the stage, which by the way, I still am. Um, and I, I made just like a glib, like, uh, what have I got to worry about? I'm white remark. 
Right. And, and somebody in, in uh, the audience took exception to this. One of the uh, uh, beleaguered talkies took exception to this. And I just sort of felt like addressing it because, um, first of all, somebody called attention to it. So cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but secondly, I really don't know what I'm supposed to apologize for or if I'm supposed to apologize or uh, what the – but I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. I think that it was a pretty. I think it was a, a not necessarily clever, but at least an on point political comment about the state of, of affairs in the United States. Fair enough. And so uh, this was uh, yes, one of the talkies, uh, a Facebook friend of mine. And so I should mention two things. Number one, he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan. <laughs> But I'd still, in spite of that, I haven't, you know, I'm friends with him. Uh, and number two, uh, yeah, so what he said was it wasn't that he was offended by what you said. He was curious in light of this sort of modern uh, social media age, whether you caught any flack for it. Of course, oh. there's the famous story about the woman who was flying to Africa and she said, oh, I won't get AIDS, or I won't get AIDS, at least I'm white or something like that. Right. right yeah. And then by the time she landed, she'd been fired. Because her comments went viral, that I think his, his question was more like, "Oh, are you concerned about this sort of thing happening?" And that's and then go. Uh, no, not concerned about that sort of thing happening. Listen, the whole comment about um, I'm going to Africa. I could fire you from this podcast. <laughs> that's right. You are the co- wait. I'm the co-commissioner. Who has firing powers here? Which of us commissioners can fire the other? No, the, oh, we're going to have interleague play soon. Now, <laughs> the, the 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 Africa tweet was. Going to Africa, I hope I don't get AIDS. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm white. I've got nothing to worry about. Something to that effect. It was just really insensitive and also stupid, right? And I think that um, she didn't get fired for what she said. She got fired for the backlash to it. And it's sort of like, you know, when um, in hockey, when a guy is, you know, driven into the boards and it ends his career, you get a much stiffer punishment than if you did the same thing and you just took him out of five games, right? Um, so you get punished for the, for the outcome, not for the event. But anyway, no, look, I mean, I don't, I don't, like I said, it wasn't a clever comment. It was just sort of on point with the politics of what's going on in the States right now. I would argue that if you're, you know, for everybody who's talking about like, oh, I've got to leave America, I've got to run, it's, it, you know, the country's changed or I won't go back there to visit. I look at it and I go, what's my problem exactly? Like, how am I supposed to not sound disingenuous? When I, if I support you, like no one has it easier than enterprising white males in the United States of America right now. So it's a bit of a joke. And for me to, for me to just go, yeah, I like, I would love to get caught up in all the, oh my God, the sky is falling. But like, what do I have to fear? Honestly, it's <laughs> stupid. <clears throat> well, I'm glad you addressed it anyway, right? I mean, that's what it's about. Now we are running short on time, but we got a couple things we got to deal with yet. Still, okay. let's, rupture. Let's pummel through. Number it. one is uh, you. Uh, you posted a picture. <laughs> yes. Today. So of the doggo. Yeah. So this is a. I mean, this was just begging for uh, the National Talkie League treatment from our our beleaguered talkie fans. Uh, this is a, a beautiful dog. Good looking pup. Great expression on his face, but he's holding what is either. Uh, what is actually a Kong dog toy, but looks like it would satisfy a couple of uh, a couple of ladies. <laughs> so I, you asked yeah. people to caption that photo. Caption the photo. And so should we go through them quick? Yeah, rattle them off. All right. So Tyler says, "Giving the dog a bone." Pretty good. Brian says, "Stow your personal items securely." I like that one. I thought that that was sort of like if you if he said that and then showed you the picture, then you'd go, "Oh my god." <laughs> And 
Brian being a, a frequent flyer, as we know, that's is perfect. Right. Uh, Krista says all the Amazon boxes in the corner and you got me this. <laughs> Eric says not a dog toy. <laughs> yeah. See, I think <laughs> I like Eric cause he was, I think he might've been at the keyboard trying to think of a really, really like, you know, a champion a one caption. And then he just thought to himself, no, categorize it as they would. <laughs> <laughs> Michael says, mommy put this where exactly. And then you said, I think I'll go bury this in a hole. Yeah. So I think the next one, though, is the absolute grand champion here. Absolutely. Dominic, go ahead. No, no, you do it. Oh, so Dominic, uh, Dominic, the winner, says, this thing doesn't taste like peanut butter at all. Right on. That is just like meta. There's three jokes happening in that caption of that. It's amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dominic. Um Oh, and then right below that, earlier in the week, while I was in uh, in British Columbia, we went to a lake, Superior Lake, it was called, not Lake Superior. I'm oh, sorry, no, no, it was Surveyor's Lake. I'm okay, sorry. I was say, the actual name you of can't the lake. Do that. That's like opening up an amusement park and calling it like Dinseyland or something like that. <laughs> so it's a Surveyor Lake. It's just south of Elko, which is kind of between Cranbrook and Fernie. Great little area. We had a blast there, uh, and so. The- they had a sign, which I knew Roger would love. And then I thought the talkies might enjoy it as well. So I posted it and it says, the sign says no dogs and alcohol. And so of course, immediately my brain goes, Oh, well, what if I just have one? Is that okay? (laughs) You can't have dogs and alcohol, but you could have a dog and no alcohol, or you could have alcohol and no dog. So, Here's the game that I played with myself because I, first of all, I was tickled by the photo, but then I thought to myself, what if that's a direct order? What if that sign is an instruction? And it, could that mean that you can't come past this point unless you are without dog and with alcohol? Like it's a requirement. <laughs> oh, I see. So the no is just for the dogs and alcohol is a requirement. Yeah. Is that, could it be interpreted that way? Like just I would think so, literally yes. speaking, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and even if you put no dogs or alcohol, it's still kind of open to interpretation, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I, I, I'm a big fan of the no smoking sign. You know, there's no ambiguity there. You know what you can't yeah. do. They're not. It's not a suggestion. It's an order. But I do feel like, you know, when you've got four words on a sign, throw in a fifth one just to clear everything up. Well, no dogs, no alcohol would have worked, except then. Someone with liquid paper, because it's written in white, could just put a comma in. And now it's funny again, because it's no dogs, no no alcohol. (laughs) You show up here without your canine friend, you're going dry. Maybe the sign writer can't win in this particular. No dogs allowed, no alcohol allowed. Uh, No dogs or or alcohol allowed, I think, would be pretty clear. Right. No dogs or alcohol allowed. Dogs or alcohol not allowed. Dogs or alcohol not allowed. Dogs. So can I have one but not the other? <laughs> Dogs and alcohol not allowed. That's cool. <laughs> I've only got one or the other. <laughs> Love it. All right. So, Takis, if you see signs that uh, that are like this one, uh, throw them up in the Facebook page and we'll all make fun of them together. Brilliant. Um, that'll uh, wrap things up for episode number 32 of the National Talkie League podcast. Thank you very much for listening, friends and neighbors. I uh, I feel a bit uh, a bit uh, put upon 
I did not have a chance to talk about what I was watching this week. Oh, but we are out of time. So we will do that next week. We will talk even more about what it is that I'm watching. Shouldn't have talked about the Golden Corral so much. (laughs) (laughs) What I was watching last week was a lot of very large American people eating food, I guess. Good enough. (laughs) Is that that on Netflix, by the way? Can I watch that too? (laughs) Yes, uh, most of the shows on Netflix are now that. Uh, a lot of reality shows showing up on Netflix. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like, you know what, Netflix? The reason I started watching it was to get away from this shit. So you should curb that pretty fast, I think. Yeah, I think I agree um, with that. So uh, I have to say, even though I was kind of on last week's episode, I was just dying to get back at it. Really missed uh, the talkie last week. Uh, we don't. I don't think we have an overtime interview this week uh, unless something changes between now and Thursday. Uh, but we will endeavor now that the long weekends pass. We will endeavor to, to line up some interviews for you guys. So we'll have a few more overtime issues. Uh, we love doing the podcast for you. We're having a good time with it. Um, and if you could, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review or a five-star rating on your iTunes or your podcast of whatever kind, we love reading the reviews and we'll read them right here on the air and we'll say your name and stuff because some people really like that, but we do, we love any kind of feedback you have, uh, hit us on the web, the web at, uh, nationaltalkingleague.com. You can hit us on the Facebook page. We're constantly on there chatting with you. So thank you very much for listening. Once again, it's been a blast. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.